Welcome to One Thin Dime, a comic book podcast focusing on the golden and early silver ages of comics. I'm your host, Sammy, a.k.a. The Comic Book Kid. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight characters and origins who may not be well-known, but are significant to the history of the medium. Each episode, I choose a comic with a caveat that the original price was 10 cents. Please remember, any characters I discuss in this podcast are the sole copyright of their respective owners. So, with no further ado, let's check out what's on the shelves of the Five and Dime for this star-spangled second episode. On September 3rd, 1939, France and Britain declared war on Germany following that country's invasion of Poland two days earlier. The war in Europe would continue for two years before the United States officially got involved following the December 7, 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor, paraphrasing President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a day that would live in infamy. Long before American troops were deployed, the fledgling comic book industry would inspire and kind of ride the wave of patriotism with the creation of a number of star-spangled heroes. The most lasting creation came from Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Working for Timely Comics, Simon and Kirby introduced Steve Rogers, Captain America, in the pages of Captain America Comics No. 1, cover dated March 1941. The cover sported the now iconic image of Cap belting Hitler with an old right cross. Though now given the title of First Avenger, Captain America wasn't the first patriotic hero. He was actually number four on the list. Let's count down to which red, white, and blue character came first. Number three was Minuteman, a character for Fawcett Comics. Minuteman first appeared in Master Comics 11, February 1941. The number two spot is held by the comic book design of Uncle Sam himself. This version of the iconic symbol appeared appropriately in National Comics No. 1 for Quality Comics, July 1940. And, drumroll please, the first star-spangled comic book hero of the age is The Shield. The Shield, Joe Higgins, first appeared in Pep Comics No. 1, published by MLJ Comics, cover date January 1940. Holding with the times, Joe's origin as the G-Man Extraordinary would not appear until the summer 1940 issue of Shield Wizard Comics No. 1. He was even given his own kid sidekick, as was all the rage at the time, in Pep Comics No. 11, January 1941, as readers were introduced to Dusty. Guess those one-name sidekicks were a trend. Robin, Bucky, Toro, Dusty... The Shield would continue as a feature in Pep Comics from issue 1 to issue 56, cover dated March 1946, under the MLJ name, and continue from issue 57, June 1946, to issue 65, January 1948, under the company name of now Archie Comics. That's right. After The Shield debuted in issue 1, a certain Archie Andrews would make his first comic appearance in Pep Comics issue 22, eventually becoming the face of MLJ and Archie Publications. In the Silver Age, the Shield was revived and joined other Archie-owned heroes to form the Mighty Crusaders, first appearing in Flyman, issue 31, May 1965, written by none other than the great Jerry Siegel. But for our episode, dear listeners... 
let's th thumb through Pep Comics Issue 1 in The First Appearance Flashback. My source for this issue is America's First Patriotic Comic Book Hero, The Shield, Volume 1, Copyright Archie Comic Publications, 2002. On the first page, we are given an introduction to The Shield, G-Man Extraordinary, with a scrolled description of Joe Higgins and his role in the FBI. Readers are introduced to the significance of The Shield's four white stars on his uniform, representing truth, justice, patriotism, and courage. Higgins is given an assignment by the FBI's chief, obviously not naming J. Edgar, to stop a Stokian spy ring. After describing the acts of sabotage perpetrated by the foreign agency, Joe leaves the office, only to be attacked by Stokian agents. Higgins easily deals with the spies and finds a letter about a secret meeting at the Berganza Hotel, signed by Klotz. Joe is quickly ousted from the hotel in his civilian garb, but changes into his red, white, and blue union suit and scales the building. Using his knowledge of chemistry, the shield produces test tubes and beakers from a special pocket in his uniform. It's a comic book. Go with it. Using the concoction to melt through the roof and get the drop, pun intended, on the gang. The Stokians attack protecting their monocled goatee leader. This was the going style of the 40s for bad guy leaders. Their bullets are useless, bouncing off the S.H.I.E.L.D.'s uniform. After dispatching the gang, Joe finds documents containing incriminating evidence that could bring an end to the Stokian agenda. But as he is focused on this task, the spymaster escapes, triggering a time bomb to eliminate the evidence and the S.H.I.E.L.D. Despite the villain's attempt, the S.H.I.E.L.D. escapes, quickly pursuing the master spy through the city. Vaulting over the Stokian's vehicle, the S.H.I.E.L.D. stands steadfast, letting the car crash into him, capturing the spy master. As the police approach, Higgins leaves his S.H.I.E.L.D.-shaped card emblazoned with his four tenants. Joe reports back to the chief, ready for his next dangerous assignment. And this is how we're introduced to the S.H.I.E.L.D., G-Man Extraordinary. But who were the creators who brought us this adventure? Let's check out the Creator Corner. The Shield was written by Harry Shorten. Shorten began his career in the same way as other writers of the time, the Pulps. During his time at Columbia Publications, Shorten became acquainted with co-owner Louis Silberkleit. Silberkleit would become the co-founder and publisher of MLJ Magazines, M for Maurice Coyne, L for Louis Silberkleit, and J for John Goldwater. Like many publishing companies of the time, the success of Superman spurred MLJ to start a comics division. Harry Shorten was hired as the writer for the line, creating, along with The Shield, The Firefly, and The Black Hood. Shorten would become the managing editor for MLJ until 1957. He would then work for Midwood Books, publishing numerous genre paperbacks, including a collection of his own There Ought to Be a Law pulp strip. In 1964, Midwood merged with Tower Publications, leading to the formation of Tower Comics. Shorten would edit Tower's line of books, including Wally Wood's Thunder Agents, 
as well as work by Gil Kane, Dan Adkins, Steve Ditko, and Steve Skeets, among others. As for the illustrations, Irv Novick was the primary artist for MLJ's superhero line until the company's focus changed for the more successful Archie strips. Novick had gotten to know Bob Kaniger during his writing tenure at MLJ. Kaniger, now working for National Publications, DC Comics, hired Novick for comics such as Our Army at War. When the, with the introduction of a new title, The Brave and the Bold, Kaniger and Novick would team to co-create The Silent Night, a character grounded in Arthurian legend. The Knight would be eventually retconned as one of the past incarnations of Carter Hall, Hawkman. See episode one for more on Hawkman. Novick would illustrate numerous books for DC over his career, making his largest impact on the Batman mythos. Irv was the artist on the issue, where writer Frank Robbins introduced Alfred's last name as Pennyworth. Additionally, Novick co-created Batman villains The Ten-Eyed Man, The Spook, Duella Dent, though she was Joker's daughter, and then Two-Face's daughter, and then Riddler's daughter. I don't think they knew whose daughter she was. And the Electrocutioner. Despite the comic history that can be attributed to Shorten and Novick, it's their work on the shield that truly begins the story. But where else can we find Joe Higgins and his patriotic alter ego? This calls for some exploration of mixed media. Comics were big business in the Golden Age. Publishers continued to try to find ways for young readers to engage with their products. One tried and true way to get kids involved was with fan clubs. Superman had his Superman of America, while the JSA had their Junior Justice Society. MLJ would not be left behind with The Shield G-Man Club, debuting in Pep Comics number 15, May 1941. The club was based on the Shield's four tenets, truth, justice, patriotism, and courage. The kit included, and I quote, a beautiful red, white, and blue membership badge, plus an identification card personally signed by Joe Higgins himself. All this for the entire ad from Pet 15. Ouch! I wonder how many of those copies still exist. And a two-cent stamp to cover mailing costs. The club had run from 1941 to 1948 when it became the Archie Club. The next piece of market and media that included The Shield was the 1966 The Mighty Comic Superheroes game. This board game was produced by Transagram. It included 10 playable characters based on the Mighty Crusaders, though some names varied from the comics to the game pieces. The game was designed for two to four players, each racing to see which hero would reach the center of the board first. It would be almost another 20 years before the G-Man Extraordinary would find new life outside of comics. In the 80s, action figures were the name of the game. With toys such as Kenner Superpowers and Mattel Secret Wars, comic book properties were in demand. In 1984, Archie licensed their Mighty Crusaders characters to Remco. The toy line consisted of eight action figures, each with their own secret sonic signaling shield. Say that three times fast. The line included the first action figure version of the shield. Though the figures were not the best sculpted, 
The box art was another subject. Packaging was designed by Spidey co-creator Steve Ditko. The shield may not have been on cereal boxes or animated features, but the character isn't forgotten in comic shops. Where is the shield now? What form does this star-spangled patriot take today? Let's explore a new section of the podcast. I call it Modern Mythology. Since its inception in Pep Comics, the shield has periodically been revived. Along with short-lived series in 1959 and 1983, which featured a new alter ego for the character in the form of Lancelot Strong. Now, that's a superhero identity in itself. Joe Higgins returned in 1984 under Archie's Red Circle comic label. Archie would even license the Mighty Crusaders characters to DC for their 1991 Impact Comics imprint. 2015 would see the newest incarnation of the S.H.I.E.L.D. created by Adam Christopher, Chuck Wendig of Star Wars fame, and David Williams under Archie's Dark Circle comics line. This time, the moniker is given to Victoria Adams, showcasing Adams as a time-spanning legend and the inspiration for Joe Higgins himself. In this series, Joe's son is now Chief of a Special Operations Division, MLJ, and Victoria is given leadership of the new Mighty Crusaders. Gotta love how comics work. Well, we'd better close this episode up. The clerk's walking this way. No matter how many characters from these early days of comics come and go, the S.H.I.E.L.D. will always have the distinction of being the first patriotic hero. He may not be as well-known as Cap, but his mission and legend will continue with comic historians and fans. You never know. His fellow crusader, the Black Hood, or at least the name, was used in CW's Riverdale. Maybe FBI agent Joe Higgins could show up. Thanks for joining me for my second episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave me feedback on your podcatcher of choice or just simply tell a friend. This show is a work in progress, and I hope to continue building the format and my listeners. Subscribe to see which character I may choose next time for my terrific third episode. And just remember, all these adventures were once available for one thin dime. Thanks for listening.